Welcome back to Revive School. It is so good to be back with you. It has seemed so long. This is lesson 36 in our Paul's Letters journey. I'm Pastor Tom Schieffer from Indiana, and it is great to be back with you. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and uh, Paul's dealing with a lot of conflict and a lot of other voices that have been breathing into the church in Corinth. And I was reflecting on Back early in my ministry, in the first church I served, I was chaplain for the high school football team. And the way the football field was arranged, there weren't stands. Um, it was kind of quirky and too much to get into, but there was just a line right behind where the team stood along the side of the football field, and all the parents were right there behind the team. And I can still remember a set of fathers yelling to their sons, don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. You don't do what the coach tells you. And the coach let it roll off of his back and kept coaching those young men in the game of football and had a plan and knew where he was going and knew what he was doing. But that voice just yelling at those kids. And I almost feel like Paul's feeling like the coach, he has breathed into the church in Corinth and they haven't been listening. And he's got plenty of reasons for discouragement. They have called him everything in the book and we're going to see all about that. But he did not quit. In fact, that's really our theme today. At the beginning of chapter four and at the end of chapter four, Paul writes and says, we do not give up. Why? How did he not give up in the midst of all of this? It's because he knew what his treasure was. That's our word for 2 Corinthians, and that treasure was what he possessed in Jesus Christ. So, let's get into chapter 4. Verse 1 is building off of chapter 3 and everything that we saw there from what Kyle shared with us yesterday. Since we have this ministry, because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. So there's the theme for today. We don't give up. But since we have this ministry, hey guys, um, what does this ministry look like? What was he describing in chapter 3? Ministry of the Spirit. Ministry of the Spirit versus the ministry of the law. the law. Yeah, that all brings life to us. And it's important for us to see because we're going to begin in this early section. He highlights this ministry and even writes it that way. In verse 1 here, since we have this ministry, this moving and this, this life to everyone coming from the Holy Spirit, he brings this into how is he going to process through life? How is he going to fit, process through this, this incredible tension that he's already feeling? This ministry in verse 1 kept him from being a quitter. It's so tempting to quit. And he says, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to press into all of this so we don't give up. Uh, Paul confessed early on here in 2 Corinthians that all of the, the news that he was getting, all that he was facing, was really easily bringing him to despair. Uh, Kevin, let's go to 2 Corinthians 1.8 for just a second because we can see this. He, he admits it. There's a transparency in Paul for we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life. Um, 
he was close. He really, really was close. He was human, and I think it's important for us to see that. Uh, and this is important, that there was a great spiritual power in him, but he was also human. So it keeps him from being a quitter. And this element of a spiritual attack, this element of a physical attack, it's all real. But this ministry also took him into something else. Verses 2 through 4. Instead, we have renounced shameful secret things, not walking in deceit or distorting God's message, but we commend ourselves to every person's conscience in, in God's sight by an open display of the truth. Let's go on through 3 and 4. But if our gospel is veiled... It is veiled to those who are lost. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This ministry kept him from being a deceiver. It keeps him from being a deceiver. There's a lot of false claims that are going on. And there's a lot of false claims that base their teaching on the Word of God, but in deceptive ways. Things that we hear, um, and a couple different commentators talk about how you can prove anything by the Bible, provided you twist the Scriptures out of context and reject the witness of the Word. Always remember, as we studied in the Gospels, even Satan used Scripture to tempt Jesus. He took just enough of the truth and twisted it. We do it with a lot of well-intentioned sayings. Um, how many times have you heard somebody say, God won't give you anything more than you can handle? The Bible says that. No, it doesn't. It's a twist of one word. 1 Corinthians 10:13 says, No temptation has overtaken you. Not that God won't give you anything more than you can handle. If God could doesn't give you any more than you can handle, you don't need God. And if there's anything that we're seeing, what Paul's sharing to the church in Corinth, we absolutely need God. So what 1 Corinthians 10.13 actually says is, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. And with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. And we have seen that proven time and time again as we've walked this journey in Revive School. You know, Paul's got nothing to hide. He says, I'm not a deceiver. So as he goes back to lay this out, he says, there is no deception, there is no distortion of the word. And literally in this, this, this realm of uh, the deceit or distorting God's message in verse 2, the Greek word that's found there, it's a verb that's only found in this place in the New Testament, which basically and essentially means to dilute or adulterate. Um, all right, guys, i got a question for you. If Paul's such a powerful teacher of the word and he is not walking in deceit or distorting God's image, why did not more people believe his message? Why did they meander away why were they listening to the ones that were distorting the message well i think some of it he had stepped away so he's not there in person mm -hmm. but two I, i'm sure they start second guessing was he truly there to help us because of his past i mean 
Yeah, and that distance away and that time and other voices coming in. I, I don't know about you guys, but you start to hear something often enough. It starts to impact you. And how are they being deceived? Let's go. Let's look at verses 3 and 4 again. We've read them, but I think it's important for us to see that. If our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are lost. And then verse 4, in their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Blinded the minds. Satan doesn't want to see them, want them to see the gloriousness of salvation that's going to shine into their hearts. And Satan loves to use religious teachers. He wants, here in this case, the ones that get called the Judaizers. And, and they keep following on and, and tracking after Paul and, and bringing that in uh, to try to divert the attention. And Satan loves to use that technique and that tactic. But to see it blinded their minds. Um, it, it's, it's a hard world here. And they can't see it because other things have come into their head. They're not staying in the Word, most likely. They're not staying grounded. But Paul saying, I'm not being a deceiver. I'm letting you know the truth. I'm letting you know the gospel. And it's important for us to understand that he's breathing into them there. Uh, verses 5 and 6, this ministry takes another further element because this ministry that Paul is hanging on to kept him from being a self-promoter. Uh, we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your slaves because of Jesus. Look at this. Paul is practicing genuine humility. We don't always promote that. Paul tends to be so confident in his writing. He tends to be so strong in his words that we don't always see how he is practicing genuine humility. Yeah, we're talking about him being a tent maker and, and working to uh, help support the ministry. But look at this wording. And ourselves as your slaves because of Jesus. I think that's an incredibly important line. Paul is easily able to build up a fan club. He is that strong in his personality. He is that strong in his eloquence. But he doesn't build a fan club. It's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about Pastor Gordy. It's not about Pastor Fred. It's not about any of, of the servants of God on TV or on radio or on books. It's about our awesome Savior. Too many times we love to proclaim ourselves. We're nothing. And we're going to get into that. Uh, possibly one of the greatest illustrations I saw a number of years ago was at a Michael Card concert. And it had been a phenomenal concert. We, everybody that was there enjoyed it thoroughly. And Michael Card gets up at the very end and he says, Now, you guys can all applaud and try to get more encores. And we can stand up here and act like we don't enjoy it. But we're not going to do that. And he started us in and singing the doxology and they left the stage and the concert was over. It was not about promoting ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. I want us to understand 
that it's not about ourselves. And Paul highlights that because that's exactly what he'd been being charged with. Um, there's any number of ways that we do that. I was even accused of it in an element where in the first church I served, as they were sending me off to be ordained, I, I thought it's important for them to know my whole journey. And I had never given my testimony of my journey with Christ up to that moment to them as a congregation. And so before they sent me off for that, I took a Sunday and I shared my testimony, all that God had done in me. And there was one man that had not been there that Sunday. And when he saw me, he looked at me and he said, oh yeah, I heard about that. I heard you talked about yourself all day. It's not about myself. Never. It's about what Christ does in me. Paul did not present himself. And this is how he did it. Not as their master, not as their coach, not as their leader, simply as your slaves because of Jesus. Now let's get back to it. Let's look at what happens when you share Jesus with others. Here we go into verse 6. For God, for God who said, let sh light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. The light begins to shine. Paul knew what he was talking about when he wrote that. Um, Paul, in meeting with Jesus, Kevin, what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus? He was actually blinded by the light. Totally. Couldn't see. So when he's writing here, I'm letting you know. Let light shine out of darkness. He's talking about how his testimony changed everything around. That's in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 19. Go and, and, and see that. But here's where it gets really cool, is he starts to actually apply this for us in some very, very famous verses as we get to verses 7 to 12. <laughs> here it is. And that's why Mindy's painting is so incredibly powerful. I, I'm appreciating that. We're going to start to break this down just a little bit because we need to and we have to. But notice he's already been talking about the light shining in the darkness. Now look, verse 7. Now, we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. And let's just keep going. We are pressured in every way but not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted but not abandoned. We are struck down but not destroyed. And he keeps going. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who live are always given over to death because of Jesus so that Jesus' life may also be revealed in our mortal flesh so, death works in us, but life in you. Now, Mindy has grasped this incredible element in some wonderful, powerful ways. Most times when we as pastors teach on this passage, we pull out the, the pots and we pull out the pieces of the pots, but we don't grasp what Mindy is able to put together here. The light is shining out 
from beyond the cracks. God's been just working in my heart and working in my soul on this one because so much of the time, and this is part of what Paul's been talking about, we look at the pot. We look at what we can see. We make some really, really nice clay jars. And we focus on what we can see. We make sure that it's perfect. We make sure that it's all smooth and wonderful. And because this is what we can see. But it means nothing without what's inside. Paul's already talked about the light. The light's inside of those clay pots. And clay pots, they don't last. They're not made of stone. They're not made of concrete. They're going to break. And as they age, they break also. He says, what's on the outside is not of any value. It is something that holds what's of value. It's what's inside the clay pot. What's inside of here? It's not about what you can see. It's about what's on the inside. And he says what's on the inside doesn't compare in any way, shape, or form with the glory of what's inside. God didn't need to package Jesus. Because how many times do we fall into the trap of our packaging? We are drawn to the thing that has the best package. Paul's saying here, none of you have the best package. None of us. It's what's inside. That whole element of the Spirit gives life. That life is the light of men. It's what's on the inside. And when we crack, for whatever reason... The light shines through. And look at how he does this. This is just really, really fun because he does it with this series of paradoxes. And so we're going to kind of piece that together. Notice what's in the jars or the outside of the jars and what's on the inside is a treasure. And because of Jesus inside of us, because of the Spirit, because of this light, the jars, they're going to be hard-pressed. They're going to be squeezed, but not crushed. You know, we go through this, and it's just pretty cool to watch this. Notice, perplexed, I don't understand. I don't, I don't totally grasp what's going on. But you know what? Even in spite of that, not in despair. The jars are persecuted. And Paul understands persecution. But in the midst of the persecution, the treasure on the inside says, you are not abandoned. So much of the time in our earthly flesh, in our clay jars, when we're persecuted, we think there's nobody here. We think God's not paying any attention to us. Paul's wanting us to understand because of what's inside the clay jars, that treasure, we're not abandoned. Never abandoned. We even may be struck down. And that's what's going on with the jar. But you know what? Not destroyed. Uh, We see that even in Job. 
Remember back in Job? Though my flesh it be destroyed, or yeah. Yet though my flesh it be destroyed, yet in my heart I will see God. I, I, struck down, but not destroyed. Here's one of the really interesting things in the story of Gideon. Do you remember after he had been moving along through and, and getting his army whittled down? It was the breaking of vessels that made the light shine forth that brought victory to God's people. Jars of clay letting the light shine and there's victory. Paul's wanting us to understand it's not about what's on the outside. This body is not going to make it. But what's on the inside is eternal. It's glorious and it's wonderful. It's a treasure. Don't don't take the familiarity of these verses about jars of clay and go past them too fast. Ponder, pause, reflect, and understand that if your jar does not have the light of Christ in it, it's just empty. And when these things come across, nothing comes through. But in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of life, in the midst of the scars, in the midst of the stains, in the midst of life, what's inside inside shines through. He says, let me tell you, I want you to know where this is leading. Look at verse 13. And since we have the same spirit of faith, in keeping with what is written. Notice, it is consistent with the word of God. I believed, there's his faith, I founded on it, therefore I spoke, based on what came from God, I accepted, therefore I spoke, therefore we also believe, and therefore speak. We're going to bring it forth. And in that light, we're sure of victory. Look at verse 14. We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and present us with you. The resurrection was the beginning of the end. That's part of what's going on here. We're going to see that more in the next chapter, in chapter 5. Jesus defeated death. Verse 14 just resonated in my soul. We've been singing a song that was new to our congregation, and I think the lyrics fit here from the song Resurrecting. By your spirit I will rise from the ashes of defeat. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. In your name I come alive to declare your glory. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. Why? So that God would be glorified. Look at verse 15. This is incredible. Indeed, everything is for your benefit, so that grace extended through more and more people may cause thanksgiving to increase to God's glory. God's going to be glorified. He is sure. 
this treasure inside makes him sure that God would be glorified. Not only that, he's sure that these trials then were working for him and not against him. Everything that's going on is absolutely incredibly important. Look at verse 16. Therefore, we do not give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed, that clay pot, our inner person is being renewed day by day. Even though the outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed every day. Here's the jars made of clay. Here's the treasure that's inside of us. Therefore, we never give up. I'm having flashbacks to Winston Churchill during, uh, of Great Britain during World War II. Never give up. Never give up. Never give up. We as human beings, we like to give up. We like to quit when the going gets tough. Oh, and we can go with all sorts of little lines that just wanted to roll right out there. But you know what he's saying? Yes, life's hard. Everything you're going through is hard. Everything I'm going through is hard. Even as you have have stated things that have hurt me and wounded me, and I care about you, and I'm in the midst of all these other things. In the midst of it, I'm going to keep my eyes, I'm going to keep my heart, I'm going to keep my soul, I'm going to keep my mind focused. Now watch, watch, verse 17. This is wonderful. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. I love how Warren Wiersbe points out the the contradiction here, that light affliction. Oh, versus the weight of glory. Notice, momentary versus the eternal. Notice, it's going to be destroyed, but I'm being renewed day by day. There's the, the, the juxtaposition and the contrast that's there. This in this life is light affliction. It man, that's hard. It's hard in this life. But it's nothing compared to the weight of glory, the joyous increase of glory because this is momentary. That's eternal. And eternal's a major big word for us. There's one more thing that he's sure of. He's sure the invisible world was real. Verse 18, and how he wraps this up. So we do not, do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. It goes back to the jar. What is seen, these jars of clay, This life, this body is temporary. But what is unseen, the light inside, is eternal. It takes faith. Warren Wiersbe, and I drew a lot from his outline as we were going through here today. He says, the things of this world seem so real because we can see them and feel them. But they are all temporary and destined to pass away. Only the eternal things of the spiritual life will last. 
We're going to see in chapter 5 how all this gets applied. But you know what? I'm joining Paul. I'm joining Paul in this. Call me a crackpot. It's a compliment because of Christ inside of me. There's more to come. And like I said, watch the application as we move into chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. God bless you. And let's see what God's got in store for you this week.